Hello, it is time to read from the Sioux City Journal for today, Saturday, January 14th, 2023. My name is John Reef, and I'll be bringing you the news today. Here's a look at what we'll be reading. We'll start with the weather, then do the mini editorial, then the front page stories, and then moving to the inside pages for more stories of local interest. At the 8.30 mark, we'll do the obituaries, and then we'll follow it up with some sports and feature stories as time allows, wrapping up with Dear Abby and the weather one more time. Forecast for today, breezy with times of clouds and sun, which means they have no idea what it's going to look like in the sky. High of 42 degrees today and winds out of the south at 12 to 25 miles per hour. Breezy early tonight and then partly cloudy, low down to 30 degrees and winds south-southeast at 10 to 20. On Sunday, mostly cloudy and milder, a high of 44 degrees, winds south-southeast at 8 to 16 miles per hour. Sunday night's low of 37 under mostly cloudy skies and colder because the high is only going to get to 38 degrees, just one degree up from the low on Monday. A bit of snow and rain mixed in there too and winds out of the northwest at 12 to 25 miles per hour. Monday night's low of 27 degrees under cloudy skies and low clouds on Tuesday, a high 32 and winds northwest at 7 to 14. Tuesday night low of 22 and cloudy, a little snow on Wednesday and a high again, 32 winds, 8 to 16 miles an hour out of the east. Moving now to the uh, front page and the mini editorial today is from, from uh, Greg Nooney. That's N-O-O-N-E-Y, Greg Nooney of Sioux City, who writes as follows. The new Republican-controlled House promises to balance the budget. The first law they passed to cut back on IRS enforcement shows their true colors. It will make it easier for the rich to cheat on their taxes and would add $114 billion to the deficit. Again, that from Greg Nooney of Sioux City. Top story on the front page, former superintendent Sioux's school district. This is by Caitlin Yamada and Dateline Sioux City. Former Sioux City Superintendent Paul Gossman is suing the Sioux City Community School District and multiple school board members for alleged violations of open meeting laws. The lawsuit filed in Woodbury County District Court on Wednesday claims school board members Dan Greenwell, Dan, uh, Jan George, or Jan George, Taylor Goodwin, and Bob Michelson violated Iowa open meetings laws. According to the lawsuit, Board members held illegal meetings citing the wrong Iowa Code sections in order to avoid notifying Gossman or the public of their discussion of him and the following board decision to file a complaint against him with the Iowa Board of Educational Examiners. Board members identified in the lawsuit declined to comment at this time. Greenwell said, quote, the district was advised by council proceeding all closed meetings, end quote, end quote. Gossman led the Sioux City Community School District for 14 years and left the district in June 2022 for a job as superintendent of the Lincoln Public Schools. Gossman did not immediately respond to a voice message left by the journal. Gossman is seeking the removal of the four school board members from their elected positions as well as monetary damages and attorney fees. He is also asking the Iowa Board of Educational Examiners 
to dismiss the complaints filed by both the district and Greenwell personally against him. Gossman claims the four individuals, quote, recklessly and knowingly participated in the violations of the Open Meetings Act, end quote, according to the lawsuit. School board members Perla Arlacon Flory, Monique Scarlett, and Bernie Scolero, as well as former school board member Julie Albert, were in attendance at certain meetings, but were not named in the lawsuit. The suit claims on January 24, 2022, and November 30, 2022, the board held special meetings and closed sessions to discuss Gossman and his professional qualifications. Quote, both the open and closed session was designed to avoid giving Dr. Gossman, his supporters, and the public notice of the board's intentions to meet to discuss filing a complaint against Dr. Gossman with the Iowa Board of Educational Examiners, end quote, according to the lawsuit. On on January 24, 2022, Gossman states the board met in a closed session to discuss him and his professional qualifications and proposed to file a complaint against him with the Iowa Board of Educational Examiners. To go into the closed session, the board cited the Iowa Code stating the closed session was to, quote, evaluate the professional competency of an individual whose appointment hiring, performance, or discharge is being considered when necessary to prevent needless and irreparable injury to that individual's reputation, end quote. The code section specifically states that the individual being reviewed must request the closed session, as well as meet other requirements Gossman claims did not occur. Gossman claims he was not notified and the board did not notify the public that they intended to file a complaint against him with the Iowa Board of Educational Examiners, which the lawsuit claims was required. On November 30, 2022, the board held another special meeting and closed session to discuss Gossman, he claims. The board cited a different code section stating the meeting was to, quote, review or discuss records which are required or authorized by state or federal law to be kept confidential, end quote. This code section specifically states the board is only allowed to discuss the confidential record, and Gossman claims it went beyond that. He also alleges the board again discussed his professional competency, job performance, and the possible filing of a complaint with the Iowa Board of Educational Examiners. After the closed session ended and the board went into open session, Goodwin made a, Goodwin made a notion to direct Greenwell to file the complaint. Scarlett and Scolaro abstained from the vote, and Alarcon Flory was not present. The motion did not state who the complaint was being filed against. Greenwell filed the complaint on December 2, 2022. The complaint claims Gossman attempted to bribe Michelson and George on November 17, 2021, before their official swearing-in on November 22, 2022. Greenwell claimed it was an attempt to solicit their support to re-elect Arlacan Flory to board president 
in the letter sent to the Iowa Board of Educational Examiners. Quote, Dr. Gossman directly offered to allow Mr. Michelson, board member-elect, and Mr. George, board member-elect, to make any of their desired changes in school operations, programs, activities, and other matters in exchange for their vote for Ms. Alarcon Flory as president of the board, end quote, Greenwell said in the letter. Greenwell claims the conversation took place at a public place in Des Moines with Gossman, Michelson, George, and Alarcon Flory present. Greenwell states the pair objected to Gossman's offer multiple times. Quote, Ms. Alarcon Flory remained silent regarding the bribery offer during the discussions at the table, end quote, he said in the letter. Greenwell's letter claims Gossman admitted to the bribery at a meeting on January 27, 2022, with Greenwell and Goodvin present, as well as in a separate discussion with Scarlett. The letter to the examiner's office also claims Gossman disclosed confidential closed board meeting information to staff members. It states Gossman acquired information from the closed session from Alarcon Flory and shared it with cabinet members. Greenwell's letter claims Gossman admitted to Greenwell and Goodvin that he shared the information with the cabinet members. He states cabinet members have confirmed the information was shared with them. The complaint is pending and is, quote, meritless and made false claims, end quote, according to the lawsuit. The lawsuit also states Greenwell himself filed a complaint against Gossman on August 1, 2022, with the same claims in a similarly worded letter without board support. The Iowa Board of Educational Examiners requires complaints uh, to be from the district, and the one filed in August was not approved by the school board. It was dismissed for lack of jurisdiction, but Greenwell had withdrawn his complaint. Gossman is requesting the recording and minutes of the November 30, 2022 meeting. The lawsuit claims he previously filed a Freedom of Information request to acquire the November 30th recording, but was denied by Greenwell in a January 5th email. Gossman claims the board must be in agreement to deny those records, and no meeting was held. Greenwell, before being elected to the school board in 2019, had been vocal in his pushback on educational strands pushed by Gossman. After being elected, he continued to be a critic of Gossman. On page A4, it shows Dr. Paul Gossman, superintendent of the Sioux City Community School District. Uh, this is a picture shown in the school boardroom in Sioux City on June 1st of 2022. On the front page, it shows an inset picture of Dr. Paul Gossman, superintendent of the Sioux City Community Schools, talking to Sioux City Media on February 23rd, 2022, about his selection as the next superintendent of the Lincoln Public Schools District. Next story on the front page, Signatures Tipped Gill Off to Voter Fraud. This by Nick Hytrek in Dateline Sioux City. Prior to the 2020 general election, a Woodbury County voter attending Iowa State University visited the Iowa Secretary of State Office's website to request an absentee ballot. Uh, 
After entering her voter identification information, the student was informed she'd already voted. The same thing happened to her brother, also an ISU student. Both called Woodbury County Auditor and Election Commissioner Pat Gill to report that someone had cast ballots in their name. Gill's office reviewed the signatures on the students' absentee requests that had been submitted before the general election, then compared them with those on absentee requests filed in the students' names before the primary. All four forms appeared to have been signed by the same person. Quote, those ballots during the primary, that stepped it up for me, end quote, Gill said at a Friday press conference. Gill said both the Secretary of State and then Woodbury County Attorney Patrick Jennings advised him to report the incident to the FBI. Gill's report touched off an FBI investigation that came to light Thursday when Kim Fong Taylor, the wife of Republican Woodbury County Supervisor Jeremy Taylor, was arrested on 52 counts of election fraud. She has pleaded not guilty and is scheduled to stand trial in federal court in Sioux City in March. The indictment alleges Kim Taylor fraudulently filled out absentee ballot requests and voter registration forms and cast absentee ballots on behalf of others during Taylor's unsuccessful run for Congress in the 2020 primary election and his election to the county board in that fall's general election. Kim Taylor's name had been linked to suspicious election activity before. Gill said he had received complaints about her during previous elections. Her husband successfully ran for the Iowa House in 2010 and lost his re-election bid in 2012. He was elected to the county board in 2014 and was re-elected in 2018. Gill didn't say what years he received complaints about Taylor, but said he dismissed them because many candidates and their spouses go door-to-door during campaigns seeking support. Taylor did not respond to requests for comments on comment on Thursday and Friday. His wife's attorney also has declined to comment on the charges. The night of the 2020 primary election, Gill saw compelling evidence someone was casting fraudulent ballots. Election workers who were processing absentee ballots and tallying write-in votes found several ballots in which the handwriting appeared similar. Jeremy Taylor received numerous write-in votes for county board and county auditor in the election. Quote, you could tell by looking at them, they were all filled out by the same person, end quote, Gill said. Because the ballots had already been fed through the scanner, they had been separated from the voter's affidavit, so it was impossible to tell who had submitted the ballots, so Gill was unable to take action. When processing absentee ballots during the fall general election, workers noticed similar-looking signatures on affidavits as they opened the envelopes containing the ballots. Quote, the, the staff told me there were a lot of signatures coming in on affidavits that looked like they were signed by the same person, end quote, Gill said. There were quite a few, in continuing his quote, there were quite a few, but he didn't count how many. Gill said his office provided FBI investigators 
with all these suspicious ballots, absentee uh, request affidavits, and voter registration forms. The FBI didn't seek records from previous elections, he said. The FBI investigation continues, and a Justice Department official on Friday declined to comment on it. Gill said he couldn't give an opinion if the actions affected the outcome of any races. In Jeremy Taylor's primary challenge of Iowa 4th District Representative Steve King, Taylor received 18.5% of the votes cast in Woodbury County, far behind Randy Feenstra and King District and King. District-wide, Feenstra won the primary with 37,329 votes. King received 29,366, and Taylor was a distant third with 6,418. County Republicans that summer nominated Taylor to run for county board against incumbent Democrat Marty Pottebaum in November, and Taylor won election by nearly 2,000 votes. Taylor had resigned from the board earlier in the year after Gill determined he could no longer hold office because he was not living at the address listed on his voter registration and was living outside his district, violating a state law requiring county supervisors to live in the district in which they are registered to vote. According to the indictment, Kim Taylor, whom Jeremy Taylor met while teaching in Vietnam, approached Sioux City residents with Vietnamese backgrounds who had limited ability to read and understand English and offered to help them vote. She is accused of signing absentee ballot request forms for residents who were not present or told residents they could sign the forms for other family members, a violation of the registration affidavit in which applicants swear they are the person named on the form. In some cases, the indictment said Taylor filled out the ballot and signed the accompanying affidavits for people who were not present or telling family members they could sign on their behalf. She then delivered the ballots to the auditor's office. Gill, on Friday, recalled a few occasions when he observed Kim Taylor dropping ballots in a drop box outside of the courthouse and saw Jeremy Taylor sitting in their car waiting for her. Kim Taylor voted her own ballots in both elections. Though Jeremy Taylor has not been charged, speculation swirls about his future on the county board. Board Chairman Matthew Ung, a Republican, said he received a call Friday morning from a county resident asking him to fire Taylor. Ung said board members can't remove fellow supervisors. Ung said he's spoken with Taylor about the allegations and it's up to Taylor to address them. Quote, he has every right to speak for himself. It will no doubt impact the work of the board as we navigate one of the most challenging budgets in years, end quote, Ung said. Ung said the board agenda at each weekly meeting provides time for supervisors to raise concerns. Time also is allotted for members of the public to address the board or individual supervisors about any issue. The next board meeting is 4.30 p.m. Tuesday in the courthouse basement. According to Iowa Code Section 66, an elected county official may be removed from office by a district court judge after hearing evidence after, uh, excuse me, after hearing evidence after receiving a petition 
for removal. The code says the county attorney must file the petition when it involves a county official. Woodbury County Attorney James Loomis said he hadn't received any communications from the board or the public about Taylor's status on the board. Loomis, who was elected this past November, said he's not familiar with the process to remove a board member, but noted Taylor currently faces no charges. Quote, that bridge will get crossed when it needs to be crossed, end quote, uh, Loomis said. Continuing his quote, I can't comment on what ifs, end quote. After redistricting in the wake of the 2020 census, Taylor now represents District 5 and currently serves as the board's vice chairman. He's up for re-election in 2024. As for the election process, Gill said the system of checks and balances in place caught the fraudulent activity that led to the investigation. Quote, I want to make sure people understand the system works, end quote, he said. Voter fraud also is rare, Gill said, noting he'd seen few cases during his 26 years overseeing the county's elections. His assessment matches what experts have observed nationwide. Quote, voter fraud and election fraud are both incredibly rare, end quote, said Sean Morales-Doyle, director of the Voting Rights Program at the Brennan Center for Justice, a New, York, a New York-based nonpartisan law and policy think tank. It's typical, Morales-Doyle said, for a defendant to be charged with one count for every vote impacted, so it's not uncommon to see an individual charged with multiple counts as Kim Taylor has been, though her total is uncommonly high. Someone being charged with 52 counts is rare, Morales Doyle said. It, rare, quote, it rarely happens because it's hard to run a scheme that will impact a large number of votes, end quote. Okay, looking at the last story on the front page, it's by Nick Hytrek, and it's, enti- it's uh, titled Outdoor Education. County Naturalist Completes Career at Nature Center. At the top of the picture, it shows uh, Don Snyder, and it says Don Snyder retires after 34 years. This again by Nick Heitrek in Dateline Sioux City. Following in her, excuse me, following in her grandmother's footsteps, Don Snyder went to college to be a teacher. The only problem, the education classes were boring. My real love is just being outside. I started finding my niche when I started taking zoology and biology classes, Snyder said. I wanted to teach, but I didn't want to be in a classroom, so I became a teacher of the outdoors. For more than 34 years, Snyder's led field trips and programs at Woodbury County Parks and the Dorothy Pico Nature Center, showing children and adults new ways to appreciate what surrounds them outside. That's the whole point, and the whole reason is to be a place where people can connect with nature, said Snyder, who will retire February 2nd as the Nature Center's Education Program's director. She'll be honored during an open house from 3 to 6 p.m. on February 1st at the Nature Center. Snyder has seen a couple of generations of excited children pull up in school buses, excited at the possibility of seeing a deer or a turkey in the wild. They weren't always fortunate enough to spot a turkey or deer, 
but they were lucky enough to have Snyder leading them on the journey, pointing out other animals and plants seen along the way and sharing knowledge gained through years of her own outdoor exploration in western Iowa's Les Hills and abroad. Snyder initially figured she'd gain no more than five years of Los Hills knowledge. The day she graduated from Iowa State University with her fisheries and wildlife biology degree in 1988, Snyder received a job offer from then Woodbury County Conservation Board Director Rick Schneider to be the county's first full-time naturalist. After thinking it over during a 10-day hiking trip in the Great Smoky Mountains, Snyder a Tripoli native who grew up exploring the river and woods near her northeast Iowa home, decided to pass up a possible chance at a similar job expected to open in her home county and move to the western side of the state. Her job was to develop an environmental education program to introduce children to nature. I really had a clean slate and there was no road map to follow, she said. At the time, she, Schneider, and a secretary were the only members of the Conservation Board's administrative office, the three of them sharing one computer on the eighth floor of the Woodbury County Courthouse. Snyder would haul materials a couple blocks away to her car and head out to schools or county parks to put on her programs. It wasn't an ideal setup, and in 1989, Snyder mentioned the idea of creating a nature center where visitors could come view exhibits, and she'd have more room to store educational materials and conduct programs for children and adults. Long story short, the idea caught on, and through the hard work of a number of people, the Los, Hill, the Los Ridge Nature Center opened in 1995. It was renamed the Dorothy Pico Nature Center two years later. It's been a dream come true, Snyder said of the Nature Center's creation, it was such a team effort and neat to see people from so many facets come together. Oftentimes, I refer to it as my first child. As is often the case with real-life children, it became an anchor, giving Snyder reason to put down roots in Woodbury County. She couldn't move away when there were so many things to accomplish as she and others kept dreaming up project after project to enhance the Nature Center. I didn't really expect to stay in Sioux City and Woodbury County for more than five years, Snyder said. We had so many great opportunities here, and things kept evolving. My best memories are how it's shaped friendships and my family. Over the years, she's gained many close friends through her work and is never tired of seeing the excitement of children making a connection with nature. Through their observations and curiosity, she's frequently learning along with them. The neat thing about being a biological educator is you learn by asking questions, she said. The Conservation Board's administrative staff has grown to 11 people since Snyder came to Sioux City, and the Nature Center continues to add programs and other features to attract visitors. It's a job that's never really done, Snyder said, but she had reached a point at which she'd accomplished many of her goals and felt it was time to step down. You'll still find Snyder outdoors during her retirement. She'll have more time to spend with her own gardens and other organizations to which she belongs 
and it's a safe bet she'll be spending a number of hours out at the Nature Center, now as a volunteer helping with various projects. It's been a huge honor, and I'm humbled by all of the comments and support and hard work people have done at the Nature Center and the county parks, she said. Like a tree in the woods, Snyder's career began with a small shoot and branched out over time. Now it's time to enjoy the full growth of a career spent sparking an interest in nature in others. On the front page, it shows a large picture of Don Snyder, Education Program Director at Woodbury County's Dorothy Pico Nature Center, who is retiring February, February 2nd. She was hired as the county's first full-time naturalist in 1988 to begin nature education programs. Moving now to page A2, New Siouxland Legislators Reflect on First Week. This is by Jared McNett, Dateline Des Moines. The first week at the Iowa Capitol building can be a busy one for any state legislator. It's a week of speeches, settling into committee assignments, possibly introducing a new bill or two, and commiserating with fellow politicians. But the pace in Des Moines can feel even a bit more frenetic for those who are arriving to the State House as freshman legislators. Quote, it felt like the first week of my PhD program where I found out how little I knew about the protocol and how much I needed to learn in a short time. End quote. First term Re Representative Bob Henderson, a Republican from Sioux City, said about his first week. Henderson, a former teacher and chair of the Woodbury County GOP, is one of seven Siouxland state lawmakers who began their first session on Monday, January 9th. Joining him in the initial journey to the state capitol were Senator Rocky DeWitt of Lawton, Senator Lynn Evans of Aurelia, Senator Kevin Allens of Salix, Representative J.D. Shulton of Sioux City, Representative Zach Deacon of Granville, and Representative Ken Carlson of Ottawa. All but Shulton are members of the Republican Party, which has had a 64-36 advantage in the Iowa House and a 34-16 majority in the Iowa Senate. It really is a blur so far, quote-unquote, Allen said. Continuing his quote, definitely a fire hose right now with lots to learn, end quote. Quote, it will probably take a couple of weeks for me to find my pace. I need to get a routine in place, get better organized so I can be better at managing my time, end quote, DeWitt, a former Woodbury County Board Supervisor, said. Evans, who previously served as a school superintendent, said there's, quote, a lot to learn in a short amount of time. But I am not alone in that there is a number of newly elected legislators this year, end quote, he said. Shulton, a candidate for Iowa's 4th Congressional District in 2018 and 2020, said what will, what will take a while for him to get used to are the rules, procedures, and formalities of legislating but he's got a positive spin on the first five days. Quote, I made all of my committees and meetings on time, and I haven't got lost yet, so I consider it a good first week, end quote, he said. Shulton then added that he felt a certain amount of reverence when seeing photos of previous Iowa House speakers. Quote, it makes me think a lot about the history of this building and of Iowa, end quote. Within a day of the 90th Iowa General Assembly beginning for 2023, Republican Governor Kim Reynolds gave her annual Condition of the State Address, 
which lawmakers were on hand for. In the speech, Reynolds, who won a commanding re-election bid in 2022, pushed for a 3.3% increase in state spending, which includes $107 million for a new private school assistance program. The governor also touted her work to keep schools open during the COVID-19 pandemic and took aim at those who criticized her for the move. Quote, I thought it was an excellent speech and covered an aggressive conservative agenda that is Iowa's future in mind, end quote, Allen said. Henderson called it an, quote, ambitious agenda, end quote, and Evans said it was, quote, unquote, bold, while DeWitt said the entire details of revision, quote, cannot be contained in one speech, end quote. Henderson already has, name, has, uh, already has his name attached to the school funding bills, as well as a pair of bills akin to Florida's so-called, quote, don't say gay bill, end quote. Schulten was critical, but with a modicum of positive recognition. Quote, it was disappointing. She focused a lot on controversial issues that divide us, and I would prefer the governor to find unity and put people over politics. The one thing I did appreciate was her bringing up issues around fentanyl, end quote, he said. The Cub legislators differed a little more when pinpointing what it was they enjoyed the most in their first week. Quote, I have to be honest, it is so much more immediately rewarding to write software or fly jets, end quote, Allen said. Quote, the best part to getting to know other leaders in the state and discussing issues that are important to myself and my constituents, end quote. Both Henderson and Evans expressed their appreciation in meeting other new members and getting help when they needed it. Quote, I've really enjoyed meeting all those who are here. The veteran legislators are more than happy to serve as mentors as they all were in their first year once as well, end quote, said uh, Henderson. Well, Henderson said the first quote, Evans the second. DeWitt took time to admire the actual building he now works in. Quote, what an awesome institution I am now a member of. The Capitol in and of itself is beautiful as a structure and the reverence I feel is genuine and profound, end quote, he said. Schulten, meanwhile, looked outside for what he delighted in during week one. Quote, weirdly enough, the parking lot. I like to look at all of the different counties and all of the different pe- people coming from different places, end quote. Shows an inset picture of Representative Bob Henderson, Republican from Sioux City, who's uh, uh, with his laptop. Excuse me, Bob Henderson, Republican from Sioux City, Representative of Sioux City and a Republican, seen on his laptop three rows back center working in the Iowa legislature during his first week in office. It's time now for obituaries. We have four of them today. The first one from Quimby, Iowa and formerly Kingsley, Iowa, Jared Robinson, R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N, Jared Robinson of Quimby, Iowa and formerly Kingsley, Iowa, 35 years old, passed away Thursday, January 12th. Services will be January 16th at 10.30 a.m. at First Lutheran Church of Kingsley. Burial will be private. Visitation is January 15th from 5 to 7 p.m. Road Funeral Home is handling the arrangements. From Sioux City, David Lee Teak, T-I-E-C-K. David Lee Teak of Sioux City, 69 years old, passed away Wednesday, January 11th. Services will be January 17th at 11 a.m. at Wesley United Methodist Church. 
Visitation is January 16th from 4 to 6 p.m. And it's being handled by Meyer Brothers Colonial Chapel. That will also be the location. From Sioux City, Christine Ann Ayers, A-Y-E-R-S, Christine Ann Ayers of Sioux City, 62 years old, died Wednesday, January 11th. Services will be January 18th at 10 a.m. at St. Boniface Catholic Church. Burial will be following the services at Calvary Cemetery. Visitation will be January 17th from 4 to 8 p.m. at Meyer Brothers Colonial Chapel. And the final one for today from Cherokee, Iowa, Philip Edward Simmons, S-I-M-M-O-N-S, Philip Edward Simmons of Cherokee, 90 years old, passed away Thursday, January 12th. Services will be January 16th at 10.30 a.m. Immaculate Conception Catholic Church in Cherokee. Burial will be at Silver Township Cemetery in Quimby. Visitation will be January 15th from 4 to 6 p.m. at Greenwood Schubert Funeral Home in Cherokee. Moving back to page A2. Rebuild of existing plant may cost $580 million. Consultants said a new plant will cost $900 million. This by Dolly A. Butts in Dateline Sioux City. A Minneapolis environmental engineering firm told Sioux City Council members Thursday that more of the city's aging wastewater treatment plant can be salvaged than what was initially thought. Hazen and Sawyer Consulting has been evaluating potential alternatives in a comprehensive facility plan. The plan analyzed the construction of a new wastewater treatment plant at a new location or reconstruction of the current plant at its existing site and found reconstruction to likely be the best investment for the city. Rebuilding the existing wastewater treatment plant, which is between 50 and 60 years old, would cost an estimated $580 million. Constructing a completely new plant farther south would run in the neighborhood of $900 million. The costs include engineering, project management, legal, and other non-construction costs. Quote, we were a little bit surprised as we got in-depth in the facilities. There was more there that could be salvaged than I think was anticipated, end quote. Project manager Will Martin said. Continuing his quote, a number of the really key treatment structures and tanks were in fair to good condition. From what we've seen elsewhere, those are assets. That's concrete and steel that can be reused, rehabilitated, and continue to be put into service, end quote. However, Martin said there are still a number of issues that need to be addressed at the plant, such as aging structures and tanks, aging mechanical equipment, deteriorating underground piping systems, and unreliable supporting systems. Quote, there are a few structures and tanks that we would rebuild wholesale just due to age and corrosion and degradation, end quote, said Martin, who noted that some of the metallic processes, equipment, piping, and pumps is past its useful service life. Quote, really, the brains, the heart of the system, those lack some reliability and make it very difficult to operate the plant on a day-to-day basis, end quote. According to Martin, it's, quote, fairly typical, end quote, for wastewater plants across the country to have structures and tanks that were built in the 1960s or 1970s. He said process equipment, piping, and pumps are expected to have a 20 to 30 year lifespan. Quote, we would expect that the city's assets experience a little bit of accelerated degradation compared to facilities with less industrial loadings, end quote, he said. 
Continuing his quote, the city's treatment plants, these very high-strength waste coming in, giving concentration for, of industries here, and with that you see higher concentrations of corrosive gases or aggressive conditions that tend to degrade facilities and equipment, end quote. If the plant is rebuilt, residents currently paying $60 a month could potentially see their sewer bill rise to $70 a month by fiscal year 2026. That $60 bill is projected to rise to $113 if a completely new plan is constructed, according to a graph displayed by Hazen and Sawyer Consulting. Although the proposed rebuilding project has three phases, City Manager Bob Padmore stressed that Phase 3 is based solely on economic need, while Phases 1 and 2 are interrelated and must be completed. Tom Pingle, the city's utility director in charge of the wastewater treatment plant, said the existing administrative building, which would be rebuilt in Phase 2, houses a laboratory. The current laboratory is not in compliance with fire safety standards due to its second-floor location. It needs to be on the building's main floor. Mayor Bob Scott questioned whether constructing a new administrative building, which would cost $15 to $20 million, is necessary, and wondered whether a laboratory could be built separately at the site of the existing plant. Quote, I mean, that's a lot of money. I, I mean, that's a lot of money that is absolutely at zero productivity, end quote, he said. In his professional opinion, Martin said he would not build the laboratory administrative building separately. Quote, can you? That's the question, end quote, Scott said. Scott said he also wanted a guarantee that the project would increase the city's wastewater capacity. Quote, I think that's terribly important that you put that in your contract because we spent 140 million bucks around here, and as near as I can tell, we got nothing for that 140 million. That's what's so aggravating. The stuff that we did in the last 10, 12, 14 years around here is just unacceptable, end quote, he said. The Iowa Department of Natural Resources requires that the city have a facility plan which will guide the city's wastewater treatment services for the next two decades. Last April, the city council greenlighted a $617,700 consulting services agreement with Hazen and Sawyer Consulting to evaluate whether to upgrade or replace the plant. The facility plan is being funded with $500,000 from the American Rescue Plan Act, or ARPA. The rest of the money comes from the sewer fund. The city would pay for the wastewater treatment plant project with a combination of funding, including ARPA dollars. The city received $40.6 million from ARPA, a COVID relief package signed by President Biden in March of 2021. Next story, Sioux City reimbursed for police expenses for Trump rally. This by Dolly A. Butts and Dateline Sioux City. City Manager Bob Padmore confirmed Friday that the city of Sioux City has been fully reimbursed for the services it provided for former President Donald Trump's November 3rd rally at Sioux Gateway Airport. Padmore told the Journal Friday that the city received payment from event organizers on December 21st for $10,002.38 in police expenses. Quote, we show no outstanding bills for this event strategies group, end quote, he said. Continuing his quote, the ambulance has been paid and now the police security has been paid as well, end quote. 
The Journal published a story on December 7th detailing the wrangling a city attorney engaged in to get a $5,000 rental payment ahead of the rally. Save America, a leadership political action committee, or PAC, created by Trump, rented several parking lots from the city for the rally, which was intended to bolster the campaigns of Iowa Republican Senator Chuck Grassley and Governor Kim Reynolds. The journal obtained 136 pages of emails which show that a city attorney went back and forth with event strategies incorporated in the days leading up to the rally before Save America signed off on a venue use agreement and paid the city the $5,000 rental fee. The documents mentioned reimbursement for police officers' overtime hours and also included a $1,425 invoice for emergency medical services, which was dated November 2, 2022, and due that same day, the day before the rally. On December 8, the day after the story appeared in the journal, Event Strategies, Inc. paid the $1,425 bill for standby EMS. Sioux City police officers staffing the rally were to be paid from the Uniform and Investigative Bureau's overtime budgets, which the United States Secret Service would reimburse, an administrative assistant for the police department wrote in one of the emails. City Finance Director Teresa Fitch told the Journal on December 6th that police expenses totaled $10,002.38 and, quote, the city has not received any reimbursement to date for these expenses, end quote. Padmore said Friday there was, quote, some confusion about whether that was ultimately a Secret Service expense or an event expense, end quote. He said the police expense was determined to be an event expense and, in the wake of the story's publication, the city issued an invoice which had a January 9, 2023 due date to Event Strategies Incorporated. More than 100 rally-goers were in line to get in by 9 a.m. on November 3rd, although attendees weren't allowed to enter the venue until after 2 p.m. Trump who took the stage between 7.30 and 8 p.m., spoke for over 70 minutes. Less than two weeks after the event, Trump announced his 2024 White House bid. Moving to page A5 for some briefs. Fire Rescue are investigating a blaze. This dateline Sioux City. Fire officials are investigating the cause of a fire that broke out Friday afternoon in a red-tag single-family home near Sioux City's downtown. Quote, more than likely it was intentionally set, end quote, Sioux City Fire Rescue Captain Ryan Collins said. About 1.15 p.m., Sioux City Rescue firefighters were dispatched to a structure fire at 504 Market Street. Upon arrival, Collins said fire was visible on both the home's first and second floors. Quote, our crews set up defensive operations. They sprayed water from the outside into the interior until it was safe to proceed in, and then they started an interior fire attack, in quote, Collins said. Collins said firefighters searched the basement at both the first and second floors but found nobody inside the structure. All utilities, including electricity and natural gas, had previously been shut off. Quote, the house, that's been red-tagged for at least a few months. Reports from the neighborhood suggest that there were transients, though, inside, in quote, Collins said. Continuing his quote, I'm not sure if they were inside at the time of the fire. That's going to be part of the investigation, end quote. 
Next story, Sioux City nun recognized for combating trafficking. This Dateline Des Moines. A Sioux City resident was one of the five Iowans honored at the Capitol building this week for combating human trafficking. Sister Shirley Finneran, a board member of Siouxland Coalition Against Human Trafficking, received the award from Iowa Secretary of State Paul Pate, who said, quote, I appreciate the work they've done so far and thank them for their service working to put an end to this horrible crime, end quote. Finneran, who is a professor of social work for several decades at Briarcliff University, also serves with the Iowa Network Against Human Trafficking of Slavery and founded Lila May's House, which acts as a transitional housing option for victims of sex trafficking. Quote, we are a space for healing, end quote, Finneran said of the organization in 2019. At the time, Finneran said it is important to have a secret spot for Lily May's house since women leaving sex trafficking seem to have a form of post-traumatic stress disorder given the, quote, deep trauma and control that traffickers have on their victims, end quote. The other residents recognized were Alka Konoklar, Keokuk, Leland Shipper of Des Moines, Tish Young of Cedar Rapids, and Melody Stone of Mason City. IMT Insurance Company also received an award. Next story, Decatur man sentenced to federal prison for sexual abuse. This Dateline Omaha. A Decatur, Nebraska man was sentenced to nearly four years in federal prison for having sex with an underage girl on the Omaha Indian Reservation and fathering her child. Juwan Grant, 24, pleaded guilty in August in U.S. District Court in Omaha to one count of sexual abuse of a minor in Indian country. Excuse me, yeah, country. He was sentenced Thursday to 46 months in prison. Grant engaged in sexual acts with the girl who was underage uh, 16. She was underage 16 in Macy in 2021 from about February through May. The girl who gave birth in November 2021 initially denied Grant was the father. During an interview at the Child Advocacy Center in Sioux City, the girl identified Grant as the father of her child and said he also provided her with methamphetamine and marijuana on several occasions. DNA tests have determined Grant is the child's father. And last of the briefs, Iowa Politics Podcast Reviews Sessions, first week. On Iowa Politics, it's a weekly news and analyst podcast that claims that aims to recreate the kinds of conversations that happen when you get political reporters from across Iowa all together after the day's deadlines have been met. This week's show is hosted by the Gazette's Des Moines Bureau Chief Aaron Murphy and features Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton, uh, Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times, Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal, and Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. The show is produced by Stephen M. Colbert, and the music heard on the podcast is courtesy of Tone DeBoss and Copperhead. Well, we are long on stories and short on time, so I'll do a couple of sports ones, but I might not do the full article for a couple of these. First one is on the top top of the sports page, Dobbs lands on McDonald's list, East Forward, nominated for McDonald's All-American Games. This by Dave Driesen in Dateline Sioux City. Sioux City East's Preston Dobbs on Wednesday committed to play basketball for Morningside University. Just a few hours later, he officially learned he had received a prestigious national honor. Dobbs made the list of the 722 U.S. high school basketball players nominated to play in the McDonald's All-American Games. The senior forward is the only nominee from Siouxland and one of just three uh, Iowa boys nominated. The others are Omaha Bilou and Price Sanford, both of Waukee. 
both of Waukee. Billu is an Iowa State recruit, and Sanford is committed to Iowa. It feels great, Dobbs said Friday. It just looked like some of the names. I just looked at some of the names on the list. They're all high-level basketball players. It's just awesome to be in the same company as people like that. The McDonald's All-American Game roster is made up of 48 players, 24 boys, and 24 girls. Will be announced on January 24th on NBA Today on ESPN. The 2023 teams will compete in the All-American Games at the Toyota Center in Houston on March 28th. East head coach Ras Vanderloo nominated Dobbs. In the middle story, Panthers cruise past Trojans. Torrid shooting carries top-ranked Dakota Valley boys past Cedar. This daylight North Sioux City. With the score tied late in the first quarter, Dakota Valley's Jackson Hennies knocked down an open three from the corner, giving the Panthers a 21-18 lead over Hardington Cedar Catholic. The tray, which brought home the brought the home crowd to their feet, ignited a 20-8 run by the top-ranked Panthers the rest of the half. Isaac Bruns will uh, put back off a missed shot uh, who gave Dakota Valley a 41-26 lead at the intermission. Leading by as many as 27 points in the second half, the defending South Dakota Class A state champions cruised to an 86-64 win Thursday night over Cedar Catholic, which came into the marquee cross-state matchup ranked number three in Nebraska Class D2. The Panthers were red hot from the field, hitting 31 of 55 shots, or 67.7%, including 10 of 24 from beyond the three-point stripe, or 41.7%. Henny's a senior guard, was 4 of 5 from beyond the arc, finishing with 14 points. In a few nights where he has not shot like he's capable of doing, head coach Jason Kleiss said, tonight his 14 points were a wild card for us. It kind of got us going. It was big for us. Now just some time to wrap up some quick scores. East girls get past Lamar's. That score 61 to 56. Uh, last Thursday night, Canton over Dakota Valley 60 to 57. Um, Rims and St. Mary's over West Sioux 57-37. Um, and that's in the girls. Alcester Hudson 44 over Akron Westfield, who had 40. Cherokee over East Sac County, 74-54. West Bend Mallard, 65. Hartley Melvin Sanborn, 59. Storm Lake over Alta, Alta Aurelia, 72-49. Wakefield over Lawton Bronson, 49-43. And the boys, uh, the Unity boys knock off Galen, 57-56 uh, Thursday night. Rimson St. Mary's over West Sioux, 61-57. Sioux Central over Pocahontas area, 85-45. MOC Floyd Valley, 90, Sibley Ocheden, 52. George Little Rock over MMCRU, 48-37. Cherokee over East Sac County, 67-59. South O'Brien squeaked past Emmicksburg, 31-30. Hartley Belvin Sanborn uh, beat West Bend Mallard, 74-54. New Fonda over Algona Bishop Kerrigan, 91-76. And Woodbine defeats MVAOCOU, 62-25. We're going to go now to Dear Abby. The first letter today is from Girl Dad in New York. The title is Father of Three Daughters Would Like to Try for Son. Dear Abby, my wife and I have been married for 17 years and have three wonderful daughters, ages 13, 10, and 5. Lately, I felt like I'm the odd man out in a girls-only club. I wish I had a son I could share my interests with. I'd love to have someone I could take fishing, teach about classic cars, and play football and baseball with. 
I've tried introducing those interests to my girls, but they're not into them. Don't get me wrong, I love my daughters beyond words. I beam with pride at their cheerleading competitions, at their dance recitals, and at family gatherings, and I thank God for them daily. I recently asked my wife if we could try to have one more child in the hopes of having a son. My wife is healthy. All three pregnancies went fine, and we both make enough money to be good providers. She said she would, quote-unquote, think about it. I found out she mentioned this to her mother and sister, both of whom are livid. Her mom compared me to King Henry VIII. Abby, wishing I had a son doesn't mean I don't love my daughters. It hurts that such a thing was suggested. Am I in the wrong to want to try one more time? Signed, Girl Dad, in New York. Dear Girl Dad, you are not wrong. Your feelings are your feelings, and you're entitled to have them. This decision is something that should be between you and your wife, not her extended family. If she feels three children are all she can handle, consider finding young males with whom to share your interests. Consider mentoring fatherless boys who need a role model. Go online and do some research. You may find there are opportunities in your community. However, if there aren't, contact Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America because there's a need for the mentoring you could offer. Next is from Struggling in the Northwest. Dear Abby, I'm a high school student. I have many friends and acquaintances I consider near and dear to my heart. However, this year I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety, and both have impacted my relationships. I have this problem where I tend to soak up the emotions of my friends and loved ones. If a friend is feeling sad, I do my best to make them feel better. I've been assigned the role of therapist friend, but no matter the outcome, I always end up feeling sad. If my friends are happy, I'm happy. If my friends are depressed, I'm depressed. My therapist had described me as an empath and a sponge. I've yet to find out how to live my own independent life. I'm sick and tired of feeling the way I feel because of other people. What can I do? Signed, Struggling in the Northwest. Dear Struggling, you are already working with a therapist. That's good news. Now that you know what your diagnosis is, you have someone who can help you manage your emotions so they won't swamp you. Be patient. One last look at the weather for today. Breezy with times of clouds and sun, a high of 42 degrees and winds south at 12 to 25 miles an hour. Breezy early tonight, partly cloudy and a low of 30. Winds south-southeast uh, south, at 10 to 20 miles per hour. Mostly cloudy and mild again on Sunday, a high up to 44. And winds south-southeast at 8 to 16. Sunday night's low of 37 degrees and then not getting any warmer on Monday except for one degree colder, a bit of a snow and rain Monday high, only 38 winds northwest at 12 to 25 miles an hour. Still is about freezing. Low 27 on Monday night under cloudy skies and low clouds Tuesday, a high 32. Uh, northwest winds at 7 to 14 miles an hour. Tuesday night's low 22 and cloudy with a little snow on Wednesday, a high of 32 degrees. That does it for the reading of the Sioux City Journal for today, Saturday, January 14th. 2023 for the last hour. The stories have been selected and read by me, John Reef. All material heard on Iris is intended solely for the use of the blind and print handicapped. If you have any questions, you can call Iris toll free at 877-404-4747. We thank you for listening to Iris, your radio reading service.